Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift. It's your gaming podcast of choice, or maybe it's one of your chosen. It's one of your chosen gaming podcasts. There are plenty of good ones out there, and we're happy you've joined us for episode seventeen. I'm Gianni, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-hosts Mitch and Scott. Hey, hey, hello. And James is back on the Twitch stream this week. He's had a bit of a, a play with the microphones last week, but he's we've put him back where he needs to go, and that's in charge of all the videos. We've got a lot to share with you today, including a recap of RTX Australia, which Mitch has freshly returned from. Mitch, you touched down late last night. How was it? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, the um, flight was good. Um, yeah, so it was a bit, bit, bit crowded for my taste, but um, yeah, I'll tell you more about it later. We're all going to get into that one very soon. Um, so that sounds great. We're going to be going in depth with that very, very shortly. Also, we'll have an interview with Joshua Meadows. He's the head of Sydney Gamers, and that's spelled G A Y M E R S, and co organizer of GX Australia, which is a brand new gaming convention in Sydney next month. Yeah, uh, that's right, Gianni. We'll be discussing the financial cost of gaming on gamers or consumers, including the difference in price of AAA titles, competitive marking, and even the expectations of some that indie games should inherently cost less than their bigger budget rivals. All that and more coming up today on episode 17 of Pixel Sift. Let's get going. You're listening to Pixel Sift, or you might be watching Pixel Sift on Twitch. Pixel Sift. That's right. You're listening to Pixel Sift. You might be watching us online. We are available on iTunes. We're available on all the different things you may be finding to listen to audio. You can also look at us on video as well if you'd like to look at our, our lovely faces. This week, we're going to be talking a little bit about the cost and the price of being a gamer. It's expensive to have a hobby, and it is always something that you need to consider when you're doing it. We're going to have a bit of an exploration of what it means and what it costs to have gaming as your hobby. Isn't that right? That is right. That is right. Um, I mean, games... I've done a a little bit of research into this now, and, you know, games have... uh basically stayed on the same kind of pricing over the last little while and there's lots of things to take into account with inflation and whatever but i mean games are still basically you know in the 60 dollar region what i reckon and i remember very clearly when the xbox 360 originally came out there was a sort of a big uh jump in prices and everything started to hit that 110 120 dollar mark yeah and everyone was going that's a lot of a lot of moolah to be uh dishing out for your favorite games it kind of dropped back down though i mean it came back down to maybe 70 60 it did after a while but yeah the first couple of games kind of out of the out of the stocks uh kind of 
we're at that sort of price and a lot of people were thinking is this sort of the future we're going to be expecting to pay yeah. for, for games and it's coming like up? psychologically $100-ish for a game it, it's a lot of money it does it sounds expensive like well, un- unless you're like financially kind of extremely independent and stable uh, 60, uh, $100 is you know repels a lot of kind of consumers I think mm. well if just looking at Sony as an example like the PS3 when it first came out was about $1000 wasn't it yeah and then um, now the PS4 was about 500 500 in the, in five the or $600 when it came out yeah, yeah. well the way, I, the way I like to rationalize about video games is I compare it to actually watching a movie mm-hmm. so for example in Perth watching a movie costs about maybe 20 bucks so, if you're lucky on a discount yeah, day yeah <clears throat> well yeah so I guess uh, taking that into account I guess and then you're entertained for about what an hour and a half usually yep. 20 bucks for an hour and a half so if you buy a game for let's say $80 or 60 and it entertains you for about the same as a movie I think you're 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 winning there that's the thing it's a big question really whether the cost of the perceived cost of an item That's versus true. the perceived value is a matchup in your head. Yeah. You know, I guess people mostly expect a movie to last for about an hour and a half to two hours, maybe three hours if it's a, you know, mm-hmm. a, a long epic and the cost is kind of always going to be about the same regardless of what you go to see. That's true. It does make me feel better though, that rationale, yeah, that and, rationale in my head. Yeah, and it's, I guess people would say, well, a book only costs like, you know, 15 to $20, but it might take me, you know, 48 hours to read it or something. Or Well, that's it. Like the, the barrier of entry for, you know, gaming compared to other kind of entertainment outlets like, you know, the CDs or DVDs or books or whatever, you know, it, it's, it is drastically higher. It's triple, if not more. Um, so, as I far mean, yeah, it's not like you have to just go and pick up the game and that's it unless you, uh, you know, you do need some associated piece of hardware or pieces of hardware but I mean compare it to DVDs and compare it to films we'll go back to this one you've got, you've got a DVD or let's even kick it up a notch we've got a Blu-ray player I mean Blu-ray players are now quite cheap but a few years ago when they first came out just like when consoles do in the first couple of years or whatever they're still fairly well priced and I mean Blu-rays were always capped at about 30-ish dollars I mean and, and movies are not cheap to make uh, why is it the games have to be so further priced than say videos and Blu-rays because I understand what you're saying about the price of going to a film, but that is different to buying a game. I, I would more compare buying a game to buying a DVD, which if you're paying you know, close to $100, you're going to be very annoyed by. And Well, you're just not going to do it. Nobody's going to do that. Do you think it's difficult for people to kind of argue the value of their particular product, especially if you're in you know, an indie sort of environment where you've got people who want to spend X amount of money because they believe that's what your particular thing is worth. Do you think it's a difficult sort of value argument that people would have to make? Uh, yeah, I, I guess, especially when you've, you've got like an unproven game and mm. people want to pay, pay a lot of money for it. Um, and, and this is where I think a lot of games, especially AAA games at the moment, are kind of blowing out in. It's like marketing. Like, yeah, they're, they're great and they're making sales because of their marketing and whatever, but it's also making their games quite expensive. And by doing that, you know, taking away a big slice of their prospective, uh, you know, audience. But at the same time, the used game market's pretty amazing at the moment. I mean, EB Games and the likes uh, have been around for at least a few consoles now, generations now. And uh, um, it, I mean, when you talk about, you know, used consoles and purchasing items that were, you know, secondhand, um, one of the big topics that came up as at the start of this console generation was that potentially that games you bought on a disc might be locked to the console that you had um, and there was going to be no secondhand market for any of these games and uh, you know when we see a lot of these online stores not so much anymore but when the sort of playstation 3 and 360 era they didn't have the same level of sales that you would be able to get a physical item for so you could pick up a you know 
a game that had been out for a year or, or 18 months for very cheap on a disc versus yep. paying for the same game on a digital version that just wasn't the same. Pretty savings. much the digital versions actually don't, at least, at least in this country, don't actually drop at all. If not, they stay more expensive. With probably the rare exception of um, something like Steam, for example. Oh, yeah. With the digital purchasing platforms. But for the console, which is, you know, they, they do occasionally have sales and they'll have yeah. promotions and things like that. But, yeah, for the vast majority of them, they do tend to stay about the same price. So, Yeah, I mean, there are there are options to get cheaper games out there, like mm-hmm. you said, through you know, Steam sales or whatever, or even Humble Bundles and stuff like that. Uh, but on the used game tip, like I walked in and bought... On on the hot tip that Mafia, the Mafia is going to come out soon, uh, I went and bought Mafia Two for like twelve dollars or something or less. I can't remember. Like that, that's a game that I probably wouldn't have bought when it first came, and not not due to its pricing, just because I wasn't hugely interested in it. Mm. I, I think when talking about pricing of video games, though, the used market can't be really be taken into consideration because it's a different. It's not associated with the mainstream. Like but I, it's think, not as- I think it should be. You can't deny like it because it's not associated with the mainstream. Of course it is. Like yeah. As soon as you've got over your game, like I don't know if you're like this, but a lot of people I know, that they will trade in all their games. Mm. And it's so an economic so the- cost as well. It's a, you know, there's a cost mm. associated with do you go and buy one uh, brand new game at X dollars or do you buy two second-hand games Maybe for you know, half yeah, the price so, each? Sorry, what I meant by that is like it, the used game market is not affected by the marketing strategy of the original the original run like it's kind of once it's in the used game pile but they still they still have to compete with each other you know what i mean even though you're saying yes it doesn't really affect it but you know you're thinking about it from an individual perspective if you're a person buying it there is still a a cost associated with buying that thing and you have to sort of That's argue true. whether yes do i run out and get uh you know blaster title 3 or do I go and get the sequel that I know is really good and I haven't played it yet? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or the prequel before that. So. Also, if you're spending, let's, I'm just going to say, I know not a, lot, not a lot of games and not all games are $100, but I'm just going to set that as some, some kind of, you know, ridiculous benchmark. If you're spending $100 on a game and then you, you go into a, a used game, whatever, a couple of months later and you're getting it for like a pittance, then you're going to be a bit reluctant to spend the money on that highly marketed, overblown kind of game, even if you did really enjoy it the first time, because it was, you know, like I said, just wait a couple of months and you can pay so much less. And it's difficult as well for other people who are in an uh, environment where they're making their own games. For example, we've talked to a couple of people and we've asked them about Kickstarter pricing and early access and all that sort of stuff. And they said it's difficult to kind of make that value proposition where you can say, yes, my game is actually going to be a $20 indie game versus a $10 indie game. Or, you know, something, for example, we were talking earlier on today about No Man's Sky, for example, which started out as a sort of an indie independent title. And that's kind of accelerated to the point now that it's a full release. So, you know, it, it, it's it's a difficult sort of uh, sort of situation. And, you know, value is in, I guess, the eye of the beholder, just like art. And then you can say whether something is good or or whether something is too expensive for what it is. So, the, the No Man's Sky, just because of the sheer interest, it has become AAA. Pretty much, yeah. And they've received a huge amount of money in terms of crowdfunding and, and support and stuff like that and publishing support as well. So, it's kind of reached a point where it's 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 growing much bigger than the, the thing that we have. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic and I think we're going to have to come back to this one uh, down the track. There's definitely. plenty more to explore. Maybe, maybe one week we'll talk about how much uh, things used to cost in the past and whether they are... You know, more or less than what they cost now. We'll have a back in my day episode. Back in my day. Get off my lawn, kids. (laughs) You're listening to Pixel Sift. I don't think I get to be on that one. (laughs) 
you're listening to Pixel Sift. We are WA's video game podcast. Yeah. My name is Joshua Meadows, uh, and I'm the co-director of GX Australia. I run Sydney Gamers here in Sydney, uh, which is the uh, largest LGBT video gaming group uh, in Australia. That's right. That is Joshua Meadows. I spoke to him a couple of days ago about their brand new convention that he's organizing with co-director Liam Esler, uh, which is going to be kicking off in a couple of, well, I guess, four weeks. It's happen- yeah. coming, happen- coming up very soon. Um, February 27th, I and believe. And 28th, that's correct. Um, so, Joshua told me all about their convention, about how it's all going to happen and what's it all about. GX Australia is going to be the country's first um, convention for uh, LGBT slash uh, queer gamers, geeks, uh, parents, uh, pretty much anyone who uh, thinks that video games should be open to uh, the entire community and wants to see that happen. And can you tell me a little bit about how you came to organize uh, GX Australia? Yeah, uh, I've been talking with uh, the people behind um, GamerX in the United States. We've been speaking with them uh, for quite a few years now about um, what a huge community of gamers we have here in Sydney uh, and how it would be really awesome to, uh, you know, offer something like uh, GamerX over in Australia. When you're planning an event like this, what are some of the things that people might not think about um, and that would, you know, kind of make their convention or make their event less than inclusive for all sorts of people? What are some of the little things that, you know, people might not even think about? Um, So this is, uh, I think that's an interesting question because it is the sort of thing that we do get a lot um, where people misunderstand uh, the the point of the convention as being some sort of um, uh, issue of segregation or isolation. Um, And I think that a convention, particularly a mainstream one, can be inclusive while still not being um, comfortable. So, I mean, think of it this way. We've got packs in uh, the U.S. and we have it in Australia, uh, and no one really looks at packs and goes, "Why do video gamers need their own convention? Why can't they just all organize with people who like cricket?" Like you understand that um, a like a very broad gaming convention that includes sports and you know video games and card games um, and basically everything that could fall under the umbrella of gaming, gambling, and so on. Um, could be as inclusive as possible given the light of so many uh, uh, different interests lining up under one roof but it's never going to target the needs of each group specifically. I think uh, um, PAX in particular does a really amazing job with trying to be diverse, trying to uh, be inclusive and trying to make sure everyone is comfortable. There's a there's a, uh, a, a general atmosphere of a particular event that makes it more comfortable uh, if you're attending something that targets you versus something that um, you're welcome to attend, but it's not necessarily for you. I guess that sort of leads into my, my next question. So, Liam did a, a big sort of write-up on, you know, in the middle of your Kickstarter campaign on Kotaku, and a lot of the comments were talking about segregation and, and all that sort of stuff. It, I mean, is, is it just, uh, is this a privilege sort of thing that people aren't quite understanding that, you know, maybe something can be for everyone, but also it can be approached from a certain perspective, you know, thinking about different things than a general convention? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's something that it's really it's really hard to get across to a lot of people who um, 
can look across uh, video games and movies, television, and see themselves constantly reflected in all of that. It's it's hard for those people to necessarily understand that it's not like that for everyone else. Uh, the first time I played a video game and uh, um, I could recognize that the character was gay, I was uh, like a 12, 13 years old. It was an incredible experience having, um, you know, the the ability to see myself reflected in something that I was playing. Uh, particularly at that age, it made me feel a lot less isolated and uncomfortable. It's hard for someone uh, who's not grown up missing it to uh, understand that that's what the reality is for everyone else. So, um, yeah, Liam's piece in particular was trying to get that across. Do you think, you know, have, have, we, have we been making huge steps in, in terms of like making this, you know, uh, you know, uh, I guess people understand different sort of perspectives in gaming. I noticed that, you know, there's a lot more different types of games coming out these days. Are we, are we going to reach this tipping point where, you know, this is going to be something that people are going to go, oh, fantastic, perfect. We've got another, you know, great convention to attend. Yeah, absolutely. It's just been amazing to watch this stuff um, change so quickly in my lifetime. It's only really been, um, I'd say, probably the last five years or so that suddenly everybody is waking up to these problems and doing something about them. What are some really good games that people could play to kind of see some different perspectives? And, you know, you're not going to have your, your white muscle-bound gun-toting dude, you know, in every single... What's a different? What's a, a good sort of game that someone should try out? Uh, so, Midboss, who do GamerX in the United States, they recently just put out their first video game called Read Only Memories, um, and that one's actually pretty awesome. It's a throwback to, like, the uh, 1990s uh, LucasArts and, um, uh, you know, uh, the point-and-click adventures, uh, Monkey Island, and so on. Uh, it, it accomplishes what it's set out to do really well, um, and it's a pretty quick game. It gives you about three or four hours hours if you're really diligent with it so uh it's an easy thing to pick up and play but it's really well written and it's quite funny now you're a writer have you thought about turning your hand to writing uh, a video game yeah uh so yeah i actually did have a game come out uh just right before christmas um last year uh called city run london set in um uh, sort of tutors England um, uh, where you take control of a character and she's got to uh, uh, do accomplish a series of puzzles throughout um, a exploration of the the wall that stretches across the city of London now I guess my final question is uh, you know game the gaming community hasn't really had a, you know a great run at being sort of you know tolerant and respectful was it kind of nerve-wracking putting your your name and your face against uh, an event like this, especially with people, uh, you know, the trolls online who would go out there to sort of attack people? Um, it wasn't for me. Uh, I'm, I've been uh, a journalist in the in the video game industry uh, for quite a while, so I'm, I was kind of used to it. I pretty much expected it. Uh, it might have been a little bit more confronting for um, other people. I think uh, particularly those with GamerX really didn't expect uh, the backlash that they got. Ultimately, I think that this is uh, it, like uh, I think it's a form of activism 
as I'm almost said. It's I it might be weird to think of video games in a um, civil rights context, but it's it's part of the greater culture wars, really. And you've got people who you know will try and stop the progress of um, humanity at all costs. And then everyone else has to push against it. So I think ultimately it's a good thing to do. Anything that broadens out uh, video games and makes them accessible to everybody is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. I think everyone should play video games. I guess the last question for me is um, what were some of the best things that have come out of organizing this event and what are you most looking forward to in just uh, just under a month's time? Uh, yeah, the, the good things probably echo my experiences with Sydney Gamers. Um, the uh, uh, Running that's been really great like anytime I'm at a low point and just stressed out about everything I'll have inevitably someone come up to me uh, at an event and give me a hug and say um, I can't come out to my friends and family I live you know in Newcastle I sit on the train for hours to come down to Sydney um, once a month to attend the, uh, an event um, and this is the only opportunity that I have to uh, hang out with other gay people and express myself and be myself so uh, hearing from so many people who are really pumped up and excited about it that um, this is helping them even though the convention hasn't even happened yet it's you know giving them confidence it's making them connect to other uh, people across Australia and giving them a sense of community that's been one of the really cool things for me because uh, I mean that's ultimately what our goal is to facilitate those sort of connections that was Joshua Meadows. He's one of the co-directors of GX Australia. GX Australia is on in Sydney on the 27th and 28th of February, and that's in one month's time. There are tickets still available. You can head over to their website. It's gxaustralia.com where you can buy a ticket, or you can also check out some of the great special guests that they've got coming along. You're listening to Pixel Sift. That's right. You're listening to Pixel Sift. There was another convention on just last weekend. There it was. seems to be that previously there were no conventions at all in Australia. Yep. And now we've got multiple happening all throughout the year. It was another inaugural sort of US convention that has made its way over to Australia. Yeah. And what was the name of that one, Mitch? ITX Australia. That's right. And you were there being a big Rooster Teeth fan, yep. checking it out. And you're going to give us a bit of a recap about everything that people could have seen if they were down in the Australian Technology Park in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> yeah, so basically it was just a, um, it was a, I guess an Australian version of the ITX that they have in Austin, Texas every year. And um, what's involved is a bunch of people from the um, video, I guess they are an online video content producer company called Rooster Teeth. And um, a lot of their, their stars and people in charge and um, their talent came down um, to Sydney to um, hang out with us. And for people who may not be familiar with Rooster Teeth, what was, I guess, the first thing that they probably did that people so would So I guess um, the most... The most notorious show they have is Red vs. Blue, and it's the um, Machinima production about um, using Halo as its base, <laughs> and um, it's about the two teams of soldiers and their adventures. And the series has actually got quite a lab- quite elaborate over the years, and um, yeah, it's still being made. It's pretty big. It's on. That's on. Netflix. It's actually without punning, uh, without pushing a other thing too much. It's on Netflix, which I yeah, thought was a pretty yeah. cool. I it's actually realize. one of the longest running um, science fiction series. Um, yep, it's just behind Doctor Who. Wow. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you can definitely. 
check that one out. So, Machinima, if people didn't know as well, it's basically using the video game itself as an yeah. animation tool in order to basically make this thing. And it, from that sort of starting point, they've gone and, and made a lot of live action stuff. That's um, right. There's also, um, they recently crowdfunded their movie Laser Team, which is actually out today. Um, oh, actually, it was out yesterday, but yeah, um, people are getting their copies today. So, it's the first one off the, 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 I guess, the first one off the rank. It's the first time they've done this. Yep. What was it that people could have checked out there, and what what was some of the best well, things the, that you the saw? Best, the best thing I saw was a panel um, the, regarding one of the animated shows called Ruby. It's um it's a Japanese kind of anime themed um, show, and in that they dressed the um, voice actresses up in the motion capture gear, and then interacted with the fans as their characters on a big screen, which was pretty cool. So you can ask them questions and things like that. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. What other things could people go and check out? And um, people could check out a live, uh, live recordings of their podcast and um, just other panels regarding their other shows. Like, um, for example, there was just some, a lot of, like, if you wanted to ask some questions and things like that, or you could meet them. And, um, yeah, or just meet the uh, main focus, I think, was meeting other people that are also fans of the group. So, would you say that for, in, terms of con- in terms of conventions and stuff, this was more of a, I guess, a personality-driven one rather Absolutely. than a- yep. So yeah. it seems to me that it was more about them and their content rather than, you know, anything kind of g- gaming specific. Yeah, yeah. while they are very focused in the video game, like they have deep roots in the video game community, yeah. they are not a video game making company, although they have two video games to their name. Right. Yeah, yeah okay. Which are the Ruby Grim Eclipse game and the Zombians. One. So, I mean, there were lots of other Australian video game companies that were there as well. Absolutely. Some of the uh, s- uh, publishers like Surprise Attack, I know, yep. had a booth there as well. Um, did you get a chance to check out any of those? Yeah, checked out um, Western Press and um, um, the the one with the uh, You're Invisible. Oh, I forgot. Um, sorry about that. We were talking uh, a lot about yeah, a game was, called Desync. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Desync was great. Um, as well yeah. as some of the other ones there. I mean... It is the first time yeah. that they've ever had something like this, and it's come mm-hmm. from people who have previously done other conventions as well. So it yeah. came off from some of the pop culture conventions that you may have seen along there. They probably ticked a few boxes in your book. Was there anything Absolutely. that you thought that they didn't quite get to, or maybe that was, you know? I think where it fell a bit short regarding the convention is I think some of the lines could have been managed a bit better. I think a lot of a lot of the social media coming out of that event was a lot of people were waiting a long time for certain things like signings and um, just panels and things like that. Um, one thing in particular that was a bit vexing was the store dedicated to the company had a had a line for you to just like it was pretty much you were lining up for about an hour or two hours and just to buy stuff from them, which was a bit didn't leave a very good taste in the mouth. Kind of cuts into time seeing yeah. other things that yeah. you know, and I guess if they didn't have anything that wasn't you know un- not available online or something like that, yeah, things like spending that. all that time to line up and you could miss out on a panel where someone yeah. interesting could be chatting. Well, that's, that's it. Just the lines for panel panels apparently were too long. Lines for everything was too long, and it, I mean, and a lot of apparently the guardians didn't show up as well, which makes you know ushering and whatever hard. Um, that, but you know, this isn't to say. Uh, there's anything against you know the, the people that they were uh, you know holding the event. I think they did a really good effort by like you know throwing impromptu signings and and trying to and make the most of what was you know pretty stressful for a lot of people trying to get more out of the festival uh, the event than they were actually able yeah, to with yeah. the amount of people there. With the amount, but to their credit, I'll give them like the, all the personalities of Rooster Teeth probably yeah. did really well. To their credit, all of the talent conducted themselves with all the grace and like down to earthness that they are, have always been known for. Like even in their international meets and when they come to just smaller events, they're just very friendly. And I think they know 
at a, at their core that the fans are the reason why they do what they do. Yeah. And that is refreshing and you you get that from them. And it's a like, I guess, you know, people are starting to see that Australia is a place on the map that there is a big uh, group of people who are passionate about some like video games and conventions and stuff like that. I mean, Australia has been the place where most of these big conventions have expanded out to first. Mm-hmm. Other than somewhere like Europe, or, yeah, I found that amazing. I you mean, know, you know, they're coming from all the way from Texas to come to Australia first, uh, yep. out of anywhere else in the world. It's almost literally on the other side of the planet. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just it's an interesting choice, away. but it also, I guess, is it's credit to the people who are in, in Australia as well that we are, you know, we are punching above our weight in terms of being a small country, um, mm-hmm. but we still have, uh, you know, people who are very excited about this sort of thing, and it's good to see that, you know, as we've talked about a bit earlier in the show about pricing and all that sort of thing, that previously it felt like Australia was kind of left as an afterthought thought um in terms yeah. of some of these uh you know gaming decisions for these international companies yeah and you're right just to link the two kind of topics together as well that's another reason why things are harder to do here you know that's harder to get cheaper games and it's harder to get all the good festivals and etc because you know we're not a huge market as far as the international world goes uh but yeah like i said i'm glad i'm glad to see them go to come here and i'm glad to see that it was so successful um with in numbers at least yep they're definitely coming back next year i think february the third and fourth um, it's in Sydney again. So you lock, are you locking it in? Yeah, I'm locking it in right now. He's locking yeah, it in right I'm now. Locking it in. Yeah, Booking I'm putting holidays. in my leave time with Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, we'll have to see. You'll have to see how much leave you've accrued. See yeah. if you can, uh, yeah. you know, take some time off. You might have to take time off in lieu or something yeah. else. Or yeah, come in on or come in on a weekend or something and work yeah, for no that worries. one there. Um, it's great to see. Yeah, more conventions and stuff coming here and and more stuff happening in Australia. Um, there's a lot going on and it's good opportunities for people who are making games and who are in the game industry to have an opportunity to showcase their stuff on yep. uh, sort of an international stage as well because all this stuff was going to be broadcast online on Twitch and and shown as well. So, it's great that we, we get a chance to uh, share some of the great stuff that happens in Australia with some of these people who are visiting from overseas and they can share some of the great stuff that they put together with us here in Australia. Absolutely. Fantastic. So, that's pretty much all we've got time for today, guys. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Pixel Sift. We are out every single week you can visit us online we have a website that website is www.pixelsift.com.au we are going to have brand new bios up there very comically written uh you can go check out us on there if you haven't had enough of our faces you can have a look at the pictures on there as well um james's yep Mitch, we've all did a bit of a, a switch around. Um, I haven't had my bio written yet. Hoping <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. No pressure, fine. guys. It'll be no fine. Pre- Scott, people are going on social media. Yes. Where are they looking for us? When they're there, they can find us on facebook.com forward slash pixel sift or twitter.com forward slash pixel sift. And we also go up on twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift. Oh, and, and YouTube as well. Yeah. You'll have to search for us on YouTube. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we haven't got a slash something, yet, something, something, very pixel soon. sift, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Mitch, um, people are going to listen back to our, our last episodes and they want to check out some of the stuff that we've talked about. Where are they going to go to? Yeah, you can find them on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link. That's right. And if you're on iTunes, uh, why not share the podcast with your friends if you think they might enjoy it uh let them know about us um, or maybe even give us a rating or review it really helps with people finding the show and it also helps us make for a better show for you we will be back again next week uh same time which is whatever time you're listening to a podcast (laughs) so the same time then uh we will see you next week yeah we'll see you then see ya
Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 